Please be advised that this episode may contain strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to What the Forks, a podcast in which we revisit a teenage obsession, Stephanie Meyer's Twilight Saga. We're still finding out if our love for this series will shine eternal or crumble to ash under close inspection. I'm Chloe. And I'm Isaac. And in this episode, we're talking about chapter 24 of the novel Life and Death, Twilight Reimagined. It's our 25th episode. Yeah. Oh, when we record our next episode, which is episode 26, I will have just turned 26. <gasps> oh my goodness. Mm, what a coinkadink. Speaking of special occasions, do you know what today is? Today is Tuesday, the 4th of August. I mean, it's not, but it is. But you know how everything happens on a Tuesday. Everything does happen on a Tuesday. What's happening on the 4th? Should I know? I feel you should know. It's an anniversary or something. It's not an anniversary, no. It's brand new. Oh. And at the same time, not new at all. Brand new, not new. Is it your hair? Today is the day, Chloe, that Stephanie Meyer's novel Midnight Sun is released into the world. Oh! Well, that's very soon. It's very soon. It's today. <laughs> Except it's not, not today. when we're recording. No. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're listening to this, it's today. Go out and grab your coffee. No, but let's not endorse it. <laughs> <laughs> you do whatever you feel is right, but I think someone wasted a lot of trees. <laughs> <laughs> so my husband wants to build a summer house. <laughs> and f- for anyone wondering what a summer house is, it's a shed. Right. But whenever I call it a shed, he says it's not a shed it's a summer house. Okay. He wants to knock down the shed at the bottom of our garden and build a bigger, fancier shed. For what? I have yet to establish. My mother went through this phase a couple of years ago <laughs> and she built a summer house and she said the same kind of phrases like, it would be a nice place to relax. You could go out there to read. <laughs> Maybe we'll put in a log burner. But so far, I've not heard a single activity Mm. that I cannot already do in my own living room without leaving my house. It's like another living room, but with more outside. And to me, it sounds very spidery. Yeah, there will be spiders. There will be, right? He insists that there will not. Well, he's lying so he can get his summer house made. But he's like, it'll be insulated. I, I don't understand. And he's going to insulate it? He is going to build this with his friend. It's never going to happen. No, no, it's absolutely going to happen. It's never going to happen. You don't have to worry about it. He started looking at doors and windows on eBay. Oh my God. I've caught him with a book called How to Build a Shed. I've caught him with a book. In the late hours, I've caught my husband with a book. Literally, I turned over the other night in bed and he was reading the book How to Build a Shed. (laughs) And it's moments like these that I worry I've accidentally married a straight. (laughs) I promise you, this is not going to happen. Look, when it's happened, I will play this to him. (laughs) Am I wrong? I'm not wrong. Mm, You might be wrong. No. I feel in my bones it's happening and I feel I'm just going to have to watch this. Today, he used the word angle grinder. (sighs) How is this my life? I don't want to live with an angle grinder. (laughs) (laughs) Could you not give him a new project? Like what, though? What do you actually need? Nothing. I'm content. (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't want to. Oh, I just, like, okay, I need to take this time to really, like, zone in to our listeners now. I just want to apologise for what is about to be done to you. The longest chapter to have ever been written. I'm so sorry. I know, and it's not even that many pages. It's just... Well, we'll get there. Spiritually, it's long. Honestly, I thought I was gonna die. So here's chapter 24, Change the Plot. (laughs) It's what Bo is saying, (laughs) because he's begging for death at the beginning of this chapter. The pain is too much. Archie is heard convincing Edith that the first choice that Bo made is the one that counts, even though Bo is begging for death. They move Bo from the ballet studio to a car. Bo's entire body feels as though it is burning. So Edith is apologising to Bo for basically ruining his life. Archie suggests that that's probably not the most proactive thing to do and that she should instead tell Bo about the world he is about to enter. Edith discusses the thirst Bo will feel, especially as a newborn. She doesn't expect him to follow the Cullen's rules if he doesn't want to. Bo can never see Charlie or Renee again. And then we learn about the Volturi and the history. So we had six Volturi members at the beginning, and that included Aro and Caius. Aro murdered his sister, who was married to Marcus. Aro's wife, Sulpicia, had been witness and told Marcus the truth. At first, they didn't know what to do because of Aro's power. So Sulpicia had sought out Mele? 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 Mele. The servant slash thief, as she can absorb other vampires' powers. She can't use this gift for herself, but she can give it to others. So she takes Aro's gift and gives it to Sulpicia, and Marcus kills Aro. Once Sulpicia has Aro's gift, she finds out that Caius had been involved in the plot, so she kills him too. But his wife, Athenodora, joins Sulpicia and Marcus and become the Volturi. They overthrow the vampires in Europe and Egypt, and once in charge, they set rules to keep vampires hidden and safe. Back to Edith and Bo. Edith tells Bo about the Denali vampires and their friends in Ireland, Brazil and Egypt. They eventually arrive at the Cullens' house. The Cullens take it in turns to tell their stories which is great. And then eventually the fire all moves to Bo's heart where it beats like a helicopter, stutters and stops. Bo is now a vampire and he wants to be a vegetarian. Yay! Time to hunt! Do you have any initial thoughts and feelings about this plot? I honestly think this chapter has literally just been thrown at us. Like, all this information. We don't necessarily want it all sewn together like this. I had high hopes for this chapter. I was feeling... Yeah, like, I was kind of looking forward to it. This is the moment. Things are going to be different. This is the first chapter where I didn't have to read an accompanying twilight chapter it was a bitter disappointment what's your first notes so Bo is begging for death and interesting we learn that edith begged green to kill her when she was first changed yes yes and it seems to be fairly normal <laughs> yeah uh, which again brings back this question of everyone that Corrine loves she has tortured like this yeah. Because of her own loneliness. And now she has the audacity to be like, I made an oath, I'm moral. She just doesn't like Bo. No, she doesn't. No one does. They are only putting up with him to shut Edith up. Yeah. So Archie has heard convincing Edith 
oh, don't listen to him now. What he said before, that's really the answer. My feelings about Archie took a real downturn in this chapter. Yeah, me too. He is a bit of a dick. (laughs) Yes. So the first thing he's doing is um, going into a really thorny area when it comes to consent here. It's like, if he said yes once, that's what counts. Yeah. It doesn't matter what he says after. And it's scary. No, people are entitled to change their mind, even Bottomy Bow. Yeah, I mean, obviously, <sighs> difficult area, isn't it? But obviously, this is fantasy, and he's going to become a vampire and be really glad that he didn't die. So that's good. Just not a good look for Archie, really. I think he just... He don't do anything differently, just don't say that. Yeah, don't say that. After doing the whole, like, oh, don't listen to Bo and what he is asking you with his free will, <laughs> then he just continues to undermine and belittle Edith. Yeah, the entire chapter. And, like, I get it. He can see the future, and that would make someone quite obnoxious because they're constantly already one step ahead of you and you feel like you don't get to make your own decisions because it's already decided because he knows it. But this is a completely different character to what we've had at the rest of the book. Yeah. And you know I hate the mushy emotional stuff when it's over the top and overdone. And yeah, Edith and Bo do that a lot. But I kind of understand that Edith is going through something here <laughs> and all we get from Archie is like, mm, maybe move it along, hun. I'm just saying you might use the time more productively. There is so much he doesn't know. But also, is that not stuff I've been saying this entire time? (laughs) It's true. He's not wrong. Again, just don't say it. No, you can say it. He could be like, hey, maybe, maybe tell him. But the thing is, I actually think what Archie's suggesting isn't right. Because, okay, yeah, it's a distraction, but I would be freaking the fuck out if I've got this pain and then there's all these rules and all these other vampires that I didn't know and I'm like, fuck, I know nothing. And you're trying to focus on all of that. Yeah, and I'm like, I know nothing about this world I'm about to enter and I don't even know if I'm going to like myself when all of this eventually goes away. Mm -hmm. And it was done without any premeditation. Bella at least had a plan. Yeah, and also he's never going to see his dad or his mother again with no goodbye and the last thing he said to charlie oof. yeah yeah i don't know if this is actually the best thing to distract someone tell them a story the voltori maybe i don't know i just thought it was a lot it was a lot for poor Bo, who is in agony like the most pain you can think of also you know as we progress eleanor tells him about victor it's just a lot of shit this poor kid has got to go through but it's not just him that has to go through it we have to go through it as well yeah <laughs> And I don't... (laughs) (laughs) I honestly didn't know who you were going to say then, but you're right. There's some nice imagery to give this chapter one Oh, no, you said this before. Is this with the burning? Oh, no, I did like some of that. But actually, I was talking about, I saw the sun for another year-long second. It looked pale and cool. Then everything was dark. It was dark for a long time. And I just thought the sun looking pale and cool. I suppose it does relate to the burning. Yeah. He's in such intense burning pain that the sun looks pale and cool, but also because he's in this place between life and death. Yes. That's the title of the novel. Yeah. Yeah, I just liked it. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I do appreciate that in this chapter... It's not a full chapter just about his pain. That's nice, because in Breaking Dawn, when she's changing, it's just a full chapter of her burning away. 
And I'm like, yeah, but no, you liked it. I did not. I did. I did like it. And I've gone back and read it again this afternoon and I still like it. I like it better than this. Because at least it's its own thing and it makes sense. Whereas this is like three different chapters crammed into one. One of which, at least one of those three chapters, we do not need. I think all of this oh. we need. <laughs> the whole thing is just exposition. Yes. Like we get this first little bit, they carry him to the car and... Sorry, that was me. That was the deep, constant thrumming that he can hear in the background <laughs> that means that we're in a car. And uh, they're talking about, you know, he's going to be a vampire. And interesting, Edith yet again comes through with the he will have a choice. Yeah. I won't hold him to my standard of living. He's free to become whatever he wants to be. Damn right. Interesting. I think that's great. It's kind of good. But then she's also like, I'll tell you which humans you can kill off. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm gonna let him be a murderer mm. then is she gonna regret because then how many people are gonna die when you could have just let Bo die i think she will always have this regret and despair carried with her what would have been better though Bo becomes a vampire quicker he's a bad vampire and edith and Bo have to have a face off good versus evil but, i mean we don't have enough time left in the book and i don't want this book to be any longer but yes maybe if we'd cut like 50 percent of the first 75 percent of this book <laughs> Then we would have had time for a bit more at the end, yeah. yeah. And throughout all of this, we're going through it all, there's just that constant voice of Archie mansplaining in the background. Not attractive. No, it's not. You said before, it's a bit of character assassination. He's not this guy. I don't believe he is this guy. And I bet you in the next chapter, he won't be this guy. No, probably not. Yeah, so it just sucks. It feels like if the majority of the book that we've read so far has been Twilight copied and pasted and then just gone through, changed up a bit, mm. this chapter clearly had to be pretty much written from scratch. Yeah. And it does kind of read like that. Mm -hmm. This chapter could have been a blog post <laughs> and then the rest of the book needn't have happened. So Edith changing Bo makes her his creator. Yes. So as the creator, she is therefore responsible for him for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And I did not know that. No, this is new to the Twilight universe. Yes. It exists in the True Blood universe. Wow, I did not know that. I never watched it. It's um, it's not bad for the first, like, maybe three seasons. I forget, it's been years since I've watched it, but there is a similar kind of thing about a vampire's creator, at least for the first kind of period of their life, is responsible for keeping them not drawing a bunch of attention and killing a load of people and properly disciplined until they develop more restraints and decorum. Interesting, because then you think about, well, who was responsible for Joss and Lauren and Victor and... Yeah, yeah, so true. I mean, Corrine obviously takes her position very seriously. She's got a family. She's always going to be responsible for them. I mean, she's responsible for vampires that she didn't even make with Archie and Jessamine. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know if we needed to go into the Volturi. Well, I wanted to know your thoughts about it. Oh, okay. Uh, it's fine. Was it needed, though? Was it fucking necessary? No. None of this 
this was needed. Literally none of this massive exposition section. And then we get him home and then there's more <gasps> massive exposition oh, sections. Oh God, that's the worst bit. Do you know what I mean by fan service? Mm, that's what this feels mm. like. This is fan service done badly. Yeah. This is very self-aware. This book knows that its reader has read all four novels in the Twilight Saga. And so has certain things that they're looking out for. Or even if they're not looking out for them, will be excited to see. Mm. The only example I can think of this being done well is in Avengers Endgame, which I know you don't care about and haven't seen. But for those who have, there's a scene, for example, of Captain America in an elevator, which very clearly calls back to a very memorable scene from Captain America the Winter Soldier in an elevator. There's a certain moment with Captain America and a hammer that calls back to the comic books that if you are watching that film in isolation and don't know the context, it's not going to be a problem that it's there. Mm. But if you are a dedicated fan, you're really excited to see those things happen. Is that when he like nearly lifts the hammer? Is that that scene? So that's from a different film. Oh. There's an earlier film where he nearly lifts the hammer. Spoiler alert. In Endgame, he wields the hammer. Whoa. Oh, I got chills yeah. and I don't even give a shit. Like, why? That's the power of good pop culture and fan service done well. This is fan service done exceptionally poorly. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's like kind of interesting. I mean, the Volturi stuff is maybe the most interesting, but again, there isn't time to do enough of it. No, and it's just great, cool. It's like you said, it's fan service, it's giving a new dimension, and yes, female Volturi members amazing it's just very badly done the story itself it doesn't do anybody anything it doesn't add to the story it doesn't drive the plot it would be much simpler to be like just so you know they're the Volturi they rule the vampire world it's Aro, Caius and Marcus and they'll probably come visiting soon when they find out you've been changed exactly like we literally need nothing else so I know that I would have a lot of feelings about the character of Melee. yeah because that's fucking awesome like what a concept yeah this character who is essentially enslaved because of her ability she gains no benefit from her ability but she is forced to serve Solpicha with the gift that she took from a vampire before he was executed at least in my mind I don't know whether it's explicit in the text but they need to be in contact Solpicha has to keep melee near in order to use that power oh I don't think that's what it is because she doesn't absorb it herself she gifts it oh that's interesting because I think obviously you would want to keep her around in case you need to steal another gift then what happens with the other gifts she takes so you've read it as Melee takes the gift yeah. is not able to use it but can give it to another vampire yeah I thought that Melee takes the gift can't use it herself but when in close contact is able to allow another vampire to use the gift so she becomes like a tool I think that's cool but then how does she keep all of these gifts? They're just all there inside her. And then But then how does if she can't distribute it to herself, how can she distribute it to others? Like you're gonna have that gift and then I'm gonna give you that one. In my mind, if Melee were to ever escape Solpicha, Solpicha would no longer have the gift. Say Solpicha is there, right here, and she's touching her, giving her Aro's gift, and then there's Athena Dora and she's touching her and giving her another gift. How is she like can she have more than... That's a good question. Because that's we're, what like, I was Obviously, thinking. we're just thinking on our feet. I think that every gift that she has, when she is in contact with Sulpicha, Sulpicha has them all. Has them all. Interesting. So depending on how long Melee's been around, how many gifts, like, does the vampire need to be killed in order for Melee to take the gift? Or But then, like, to always have to touch Melee... 
Like, she's got to touch you somewhere, and then you've got to touch the other person, because Aro's gift was all about that you had to touch. Well, because that's Aro's gift, yes. But say if she got, like, Jane's gift, she wouldn't... It's very interesting. Um, But see what I mean? There's so much potential. Is Melee, like, trapped and being held there? Or is she in love with Solpecha? Does she worship Solpecha? Is she thrilled with her life? I think it's a bit of all of it. I think it's Stockholm Syndrome, probably. Oh, she's such an interesting character. Yeah, she's the most interesting that comes out of that Voltoria story. Because all this complicated killing, it's very Shakespearean, it's very complex, it's not necessary. Well, yeah, and it's great in its own story. It might have been great as its own chapter, <laughs> but this is just a tiny bit of this very packed chapter. And Maya does this all the time. She has such good ideas sometimes. And you're like, go with that one. That's the one! So then we get a little bit of a rundown of the new life that Bo might have, or will have, as a vampire. Uh, So he was not going to need to breathe, he'll be able to see more clearly, and hear even the smallest sound, and I thought, like a phone call happening in the other room? That's not the smallest sound. No, that's actually quite a big sound, isn't it? So why did Archie and Jessamine not hear (laughs) Joss on the phone? They did, and they wanted Bo to die. And that's why Archie's being so salty now. Yeah. Because he wanted him dead. Yeah. So we get back to Colin Manor, and then Bo finds out about the werewolves. And again, all of this stuff is just shoehorned in with no proper explanation, and all we get is just, oh, all the things that Jules had scoffed about were straight history. And I'm like, this book is straight history. <laughs> I've had enough of straight history. Yes. You all know by now how we felt about the little glimmer of the female wolf pack. And to have them reduced to this paragraph... Is an insult. To all of us. So, yeah, great. Werewolves are real. Yeah, Jules was right. Ha ha ha. And the oath that Corrine was talking about in the last chapter was what she had promised to the Quileute tribe. But it doesn't make any sense. No, Because they were in Phoenix. They were nowhere near Forks. But does it mean that when they come back, it matters? I don't know. (laughs) Still, I think it's dumb. It is dumb. It is absolutely dumb. I mean, I understand why it was there, because it had to be Edith to change Bo. No, I'm sticking with the headcanon of Corrine is a massive snob who just didn't want Bo in the family. I agree. Oh no, that oath I made! I couldn't possibly... Okay, so we get everybody's stories, one right after the other. Just slapping us round the face with the information that we didn't ask for and we're not even going to get it properly. Well, I did ask for Jessamine's and again, it's an insult. It's so vague. It's the biggest slap in the face she's ever given me. It doesn't really exist. I just, I've read it like five times, this paragraph, and I can't tell you what happened. A man has created her and stolen her from her family and then she was part of an army some army we don't know what we don't know when we don't know where we know nothing we know nothing (laughs) what a waste of ink i know jessamine made this whole thing of it's gonna be too scary for you Bo. you're not ready and apparently Bo burning to death becoming charcoal apparently he's ready for that story no matter how much pain I'd be going through, I'd be like, Jasmine, that was shit. And then we get Ernest's story. Oh, and I, like, oh. I don't want to spend too much time on any of these stories. We have really. to tell the people, though. This 
is a problem. So Ernest reveals he had an alcoholic wife and how she had jumped off the cliff with his little daughter in her arms. So he then obviously followed. When he awoke in the hospital, he saw the most beautiful woman in a nurse's uniform, kinky, but he recognised her face from a happier time and she hadn't aged at all. There are a few issues here. (laughs) Firstly, we have... I'm probably going to be accused of reading too much into it, but what I see as a really severe case of postnatal depression... Yes. ...that wouldn't have been understood at the time, Mm. leading to a tragic suicide. But instead, what we get here is his wife is demonised, she is called unstable and alcoholic, and that in a drunken rampage, jumps off a cliff with their daughter in her arms. And that's the last that said... It leads him to suicide, nothing else about this wife and what she was going through. And it's all just erased by the beautiful nurse, who is Corrine, who has potentially been watching Ernest for his life. Yeah, that's what I assumed, yeah. Potentially, as long as Ernest has been going to the same hospital, maybe since his childhood, Mm -hmm. Corrine has been following him. Interesting. (sighs) And then we learn that Eleanor was attacked by a bear, which we kind of knew. And an angel had taken Mm. her to Corrine instead of heaven. At first she thought she had been sent to hell because of the pain. Justly, she admitted. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Why does Eleanor think she should go to hell? Because she'd been a bad, bad girl. (laughs) Naughty. Mm, If Eleanor was always a rebel, maybe. But then she realises that she's in heaven after all. Royal story is a little bit different from Rosalie's. Yeah, he chases the wrong girl, so gets beaten up by her gangster family. She got her lover to beat him to death, and she laughed the whole time, apparently. But he does say to Bo, when Bo is in the midst of like all of this fire and pain, Royal says that this life is not worth what he lost. Poor Eleanor. Oh my God, yeah. 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 That's why Edith hisses and says Eleanor and Royal like storms off. Wow, no, see, I hadn't got that. I thought it was like, Eleanor, control your man. No. I think it's a reminder and he's like, basically, fuck you. Wow. Yeah, you are hurting Eleanor's feelings. Mm. Royal's a dick. Yeah, Royal is nasty in this. Ugh. Then Bo finally wakes the fuck up. And this is a chunk that is almost lifted directly from Breaking Dawn with Bella's transformation. Our boy Bo is a vampire. And immediately, you know, he's doing really well. He's not even thinking about his thirst. He wants to be a vegetarian. He's so happy. He was right. He knew exactly he was in the doorway. Blah, 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 blah. He gets to go and look at his reflection and all the angles of his face have gotten sharper. His face looks savage, he says. Good for you. You're tall and handsome. Go fuck yourself. He and Edith step outside to go on their way to hunt. Tiny little moment. There's no moon and no stars in the sky, which means... That it's a new moon. (laughs) Maybe a little nod to new moon, the time frame that we're heading towards. But anyway, the reason that we've gone outside is Bo wants to be alone with Edith. He's embarrassed to go hunting with Eleanor around for the first time. But the reason that Edith thinks that he wanted to go, just the two of them, she tells him, 
I thought you were being a gentleman. I thought that you preferred to yell at me alone rather than in front of my family. That is rule number one of chivalry. A gentleman yells at his woman in private. <laughs> I mean, why does she love him if she thinks this is his kind of behaviour? I know. But I've said this throughout the entire book. I'm like, I don't understand why these two people are attracted to one another. Bo then makes his 100th declaration of love. Yeah, I've just written across the page. Boring. <laughs> they still can't believe that they're both so happy. <laughs> of course he doesn't regret his decision, even though he's going to have to die. Bo has this interesting theory that if he had never met Edith, he would have died anyway because of what happened in Port Angeles and the skidding truck and things like that. So... That's an interesting theory. There's the beginnings of a theme there, of fate and... Destiny. All that jazz. And Bo, like Bella, is a very strange newborn, has obviously very great restraint. The final words of this chapter are, This would be easy, I knew, just like everything else. And if that's not asking for trouble, I don't know what is. That's true. That's very true. But also everything else hasn't been easy. It's actually been extremely hard <laughs> to, <laughs> to get Bo to this point. So, so true. Oh, the end. The end of this godforsaken chapter. I am shattered. So what's your best part? My best part is the beginning of the description of the burning and the bits that overlapped with Breaking Dawn. Because I know we had this argument before, but I personally enjoy it. I think it's an interesting experience to describe. How about you? Um, I like that we get some questions answered, like the Volturi were not just disregarded, you know, when we were in Corrine's office and we saw the painting and now we do get, you know, the answers of who these people are. I suppose that's good because I... We, uh... <laughs> My favourite bit is this, and um, I suppose that's good. <laughs> I just know that we would have kicked off if we never had gotten the answers. So just don't set us up for something in the first place. Yeah. Like, if it's not going to add to the story in either an emotional or a logical plot-driven way, yeah. just leave it out. Yeah, leave it out. Worst bit. Unnecessary exposition. Clunkily done. Upping the word count with no real narrative or thematic value. Oh, thematic value. This chapter was void of thematic value. Actually, I'll take that back because there were a couple of themes touched upon there that were interesting and have potential. But none of the extra shit crammed in. Basically trying to cram in all of the exposition from Eclipse and Breaking Dawn into this one chapter of Life and Death. <laughs> yes. I didn't need it. No. This is a different book. Yes. Yeah. Stop it. How about you? <laughs> yeah, mine is the whole structure of this chapter. The whole structure. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. 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 Burning question time. Burn me with your question. <laughs> Every cell of my body is burning with anticipation for your question. Do you think without having read the Twilight Saga, you would have understood this chapter at all? Hmm. <laughs> I would have understood it. But I would have spent a lot of time thinking, what's this got to do with anything? Yeah. 
I just think like the Volturi story is quite complicated as it is. And if you didn't know who Aro was or who Caius was, you'd be like, what? And you don't really understand Aro's power. The full history of the Volturi was spread over New Moon yes. and Eclipse. And Breaking Dawn. Bullshit. Yeah. And then Jessamine's story, it was an insult, but I think it would be even more insulting to someone who didn't already know Jasper's story. At least we know what she was avoiding talking about. But I just think say you had a 14 year old kid coming up to you and was like give me a book and you gave them life and death and they hadn't read anything beforehand should we try it (laughs) okay yes i don't know if i know any 14 year olds does your child like to read books do they like to read shitty books Thank God that's over. I know. Sorry we've been such Debbie Downers. No, I won't apologise for this. I'm not sorry for this chapter. I didn't write it and I'm sorry, but if we have to endure it, so do you. (laughs) That's the point of this entire podcast. (laughs) Thank you for joining us for chapter 24 of Life and Death. Join us next week for the epilogue, An Occasion. You can find us on social media by searching at Forkscast and you can rate review and subscribe to What The Forks wherever you listen. Until next time, take care. And remember, a gentleman yells at his woman in private.